Today's episode of Lions of Liberty is sponsored by Ammo.com. And if you've ever wanted to save money purchasing ammunition while helping a libertarian cause, well, this is your lucky day because, you see, Ammo.com is run by fans of this program, fellow liberty lovers like yourself, and they want to give back to Lions of Liberty fans by offering $20 off any order over $200. Not only that, but they will redirect 1% of every sale to a pro-freedom organization such as the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the Institute of Justice, and many more. Not only can you save money, but you can rest well knowing you are supporting a great liberty cause. So head on over to ammo.com slash lionsofliberty or just click the link conveniently located over at today's show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash 360. 68. They're trying to make cube farm idiots that will sit in a cubicle for the rest of their life in a corporation. They're convincing tens of thousands of kids every year that they're stupid because they can't learn math. And as a result, they end up medicating. So they use math as an excuse to chemically neuter these kids. It's really, really gross. What's up, kitty cats, and welcome back once again to the original, the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, hosted by Mark Clare, yours truly. And I am here every single Monday doing interviews, like the one you're going to hear today, with great leaders in the libertarian movement, both those who work within the political realm, such as the many libertarian party politicians you hear on our current spinoff show, Candidates of Liberty, hear that every Tuesday and maybe a few Thursday editions towards the end of this month, but we also feature people that are operating outside of the state, outside of the political realm directly to help create change and help create a freer world. And that is why I'm very excited about bringing you my interview today. First, I want to remind you, it is not just me here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. I also have several fellow Liberty compatriots, such as Brian McWilliams, who brings you his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty every single Wednesday on Electric Liberty Land. I've also got my man, John Odermatt, who wraps things up for you every single Friday on his weekly look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. You get all of these wonderful, wonderful podcasts by hitting that subscribe button, whether you listen on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever. I don't care how you do it, as long as you're getting this great Liberty content delivered to you every single week. And if all that isn't enough for you, head on over to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. Join the Lions of Liberty pride, become more a part of the show, help us fund this program, and get access to tons of more exclusive bonus audio and video content. Again, check that all out at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. Today's guest is a software security expert who is helping to disrupt the current education model with a revolutionary new program called MathBot, which can help both children and adults learn math and programming at any level. I'm very pleased to welcome Mr. J.W. Weatherman. J.W., are you ready to roar? Yeah, let's rock, man. 
All right, let's rock indeed. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about MathBot, of course, uh, as we get further into the interview. I do want to learn more about your background, but I actually have another question first. I noticed that everywhere on the internet, whether it's Twitter or anywhere that you have an avatar of any kind, you have an image of the beloved Star Wars character Chewbacca. So I'm kind of curious, why is Chewbacca your avatar everywhere and anywhere? (laughs) <laughs> ah, you know what? He's he's the ultimate rebel. It's, he's he's uh-huh. perfectly embodies the concept of fighting against the empire. What could be better? <laughs> Even among the rebels, he is he's a rebel within. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He just wants to have his family out in the woods and do his thing, and it's got to blow some stuff up to get there. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I know you certainly consider yourself a bit of a, a revolutionary as well here. So why don't we get a little bit more into your background before we really dive in to what you're doing now with MathBot? How did you first kind of, and I know a lot of your commentary prior to MathBot, prior to what you've been doing out there with MathBot, was about Bitcoin. So why don't you tell us a bit more about your background, specifically how you became interested in libertarian ideas as well as your current interest in Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've spent about 20 years working in software security. I got interested in, let's see, I want to say it was maybe 2008, maybe a little bit earlier. I read a book that Ron Paul wrote and didn't it didn't click with me at all. It's on my (laughs) list to go back and read it. But I just thought, oh man, I do not. I don't know. At the end of it, I, I wasn't affected at all. But he had a little footnote in there about this book, Human Action. And I got completely hooked. As soon as I started reading Ludwig von Mises, I, it was, it was uh, down the rabbit hole. I read it cover to cover, I think, two or three times back to back and completely blew my mind. And then a few years later, I think it was maybe two years later, I came across Murray Rothbard and I had the same like just unbelievable experience reading his stuff. You know, the, the red pill experience that everybody talks about. But it wasn't until about a year ago that I had a similar sort of through the looking glass moment with Bitcoin. I had been in software security for a long time. And so I was an ANCAP, you know, technology guy for probably eight or nine, maybe even 10 years before I came across Bitcoin. And it wasn't that I didn't know about it. I knew about it. I had heard about it. But the way that it was described to me and explained to me was so bad that that I just completely put it out of my mind, right? It's like this unhackable piece of software that is money based on, you know, consuming electricity. And I knew enough about economics to know, certainly by that point, I knew enough about economics to know that like, you know, digging holes in the backyard doesn't make them valuable because right. they take paper. <laughs> so really the way that it was described to me was so bad. And, you know, I, I, I look back and I obviously regret not getting involved in Bitcoin sooner, but but it's been a heuristic that's served me well in life. Somebody's advocating something, I ask them the reasons why. And if what I hear is absolutely nonsense, then I just move on to the next thing. I, I wish I hadn't done that with Bitcoin, but I did. So about a year ago, I had sold my last company and I had some downtime and I was curious about it. And the price run up got my attention also. I have to admit that it was it, you know this weird Linden dollar SETI at home thing that I'd heard about years ago. It seemed like it was still around for some reason and it was going crazy. So I decided to do a security analysis of it, just a systematic, it's called a threat model, but it's a systematic analysis of all the ways that you could try to break a piece of software and the things that are in place or the incentives that are in place to prevent it. And I couldn't find a way to break it. And then it finally clicked for me that it it was, you know, it was brilliant. So I was obsessed with that for about the last year, but I had already started working on MathBot. And really, if Bitcoin works, then we're going to, we're going to have all kinds of weird, interesting problems. Like how do we transition education from the state to the private sector and things like that? So, so it kind of, it put a lot more wind into my sails to work on MathBot as well. 
Right, and that is really sort of an interesting story because so many people come on this show and they tell me how they either saw a Ron Paul speech or read a Ron Paul book and they had that aha moment. You actually didn't have that moment at all when you when you read Ron Paul. And, and it's interesting because so many people will take a lot of Ron Paul's suggestions and maybe they'll go over to Ludwig von Mises and they'll read Human Action and their minds will be blown and it's just too much to deal with. But that is actually what sucked you in more is, is delving into the work of Ludwig von Mises. Do you think that sort of speaks to you, maybe the way you're your brain works and how you're so inclined to you know be interested in math and and you know software and that sort of thing and computer programming do you think that maybe plays into why the you know, human action and that sort of very methodological and logical breakdown of things was was more effective on you than say um, you know Ron Paul's more uh, philosophical you know thought process yeah i i do i think one of the things that's different about and i'm you know when i when i first read ron paul's book i had no exposure to this stuff i was basically barely interested Keynesian probably. So I think part of it was just, it was totally new. But the other thing that's, I think really powerful is when something's put together that's systematic. And especially for me, like I, I like guys like John Calvin. I got, I like guys like Ludwig von Mises and I like doing all of my security analysis work in a very systematic, structured way. So I think it probably, I haven't been successful when I've worked on things and I've done them sort of based on instinct or they haven't been super, 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 super structured. And the thing that has got me so obsessed with math and, you know, math bot and trying to build this solution was another systematic uh, thinker and writer, and that's Euclid. So Euclid's Elements was a textbook that was used to teach math from like Alexander the Great all the way through Einstein and the US government in their brilliance and other states abandoned it but it's a very systematic work it starts out where you know the student can just draw a line and and create a circle and their their job is to figure out how to cut that line in half and that's all mathematics it's all geometry but it's very very simple it starts out with just like the smallest simplest task but in trying to solve that you start exploring how things are connected together and you get these really foundational basic tactile insights and then you can slowly layer on additional layers of complexity and before you know it you're at the pythagorean theorem and you've got all these weird things going on but you feel it, it deeply right like you really really get it at a, at a deep level why these things are connected and how they're related and i really feel like mises does that better than anybody else i mean it just starts at the very most simple concept and just slowly layers on before you know it you're you're complete you're, you know you're in a completely different universe you never expected you'd get there but you can't find a single you can't find a single step that you can get out of right like you, you end up at the mountaintop and you just can't look back and say there was no opportunity to turn, right? Like every one of his arguments is so ironclad and so thorough and so so detailed. And as you're going through them, they don't seem that important. But then once the implications become clear, it's profound. So yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I have a love for systematic thinking for sure. Sure. And like you said there, I think you know the influence of everyone from Euclid to uh, Ludwig von Mises played a part in, uh, I guess, probably the creation of MathBot. I'm curious, what kind of inspired the original thought to even create this in the first place? What gap did you see out there that needed to be filled by something like MathBot? I guess the question is right now, everybody assumes that public education and, and the government is, and not everybody, obviously, there's a lot of libertarians that don't think so, but I'd say the ma- vast majority of the population out there kind of presumes that public ed- education is the, the best way to go, or at least it's a acceptable way to go with teaching our children things like, you know, English and math. Why is that? Why do you think that is failing so much? What is the problem that MathBot is here to, to solve? 
Yeah, actually, you know, one more thing about Ron Paul. I am a huge Ron Paul fan, by the way. And it's been on my list to go back and read that other book. I've read other stuff that he's written since. And after reading Mises, you know, it it all, it's all brilliant. So yeah, I just thought I might clarify that because I, you want to prevent uh, angry Twitter, Twitter people from uh, getting (laughs) on your case about being a Ron Paul hater, huh? (laughs) Actually, actually, you know, to be completely transparent, I'm hoping to do something with Ron Paul at some point because he's got this Ron Paul homeschool curriculum and it's pretty good. I've used it with my son, but the math is a little lacking and there's nothing in programming. So, right, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, that I can show Ron Paul's stuff for him at some point in the future. So I don't want to talk trash about him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I think, I think what really hit me with, with wanting to do MathBot was I went out to dinner with my wife and my wife was working with our now 14 year old son. And she was also working with some other kids in the neighborhood to do math. And we were we were big fans of Khan Academy, but when Common Core came out, Khan Academy completely switched. They had this really beautiful interface at one point where it was like constellations of stars and you could see how different math subjects were related to each other and you could just kind of explore and solve problems. But it was logical, it was structured, it was systematic. But then when Common Core came out, these guys completely embraced it because their whole model is trying to work with the state and, you know, have kids learn online. It's basically like a way to empower teachers. So by doing that, they completely destroyed Khan Academy. And so my wife was looking at Khan Academy and that caused her to actually dig really deeply into what, what this common core thing is. And what blew my mind at the time is that Common Core was a completely new way to teach math, right? It was a new concept, new ways to solve problems, even though that's being real generous. And they they came up with the idea and they rolled it out nationwide in like two years. It was, I mean, the government is not good at very many things, right? But this was very impressive. I mean, they, they rolled out a completely different way to think about and to attempt to work with math in a span of two years from coast to coast in every of the thousands of public schools in the country. And by impressive, you just mean the way they were able to get it out there across the nation so quickly, not necessarily the, uh, the program itself, I presume. Yeah, I mean the the program itself is pure evil. Um, <laughs> and I guess I guess you know if we were to look at some of the things that the state's good at, like war or just you know killing innocent civilians, things like that, it's it's in that category because it really is just a really really wretched and evil concept. And the efficiency with which this machine, this this brain destructing machine, was rolled out across you know the 400 million people that live in the United States and how it's impacted the rest of the world as well is absolutely staggering. This is one of the things that is really shocking to me. Completely new program, completely new curriculum. They don't really know how it's going to turn out. They didn't take one class. They didn't take like 15 or even 30 kids and have them go through this common core curriculum and see if they learned math better than the way that they did it before. They just rolled it out nationwide. Uh, I guess you can do that when there's no consequence to being wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's no competition. There's no possibility that somebody is going to replace them. But this is one of those examples where the invisible hand of corruption is so efficient and so effective that if I was ever going to think that there was a bunch of guys in in a back room somewhere plotting how to destroy human civilization... This is one of the examples where I go, you know, I I think it was just the invisible hand of corruption. I think it was just a bunch of teachers and administrators and government slobs with really bad incentives doing what's in their own best interest. But sometimes it comes together just so brilliantly and so wickedly that it's hard for me not to think that this is, you know, conspiracy. But 
And you know what? The math program before that was terrible too. But what they've done with Common Core is they've just they've just taken it to the next level. What you and I experienced in school was like gentle and intelligent compared to what kids are experiencing in school now with math. So that was really, you know, that was the rage spiration for creating MathBot. Can you delve delve a little more into that? Exactly what this new math process is and why it is so destructive for children to be learning this way? Yeah. So when, well, let's look at how Einstein learned math. He learned math using Euclid's elements. And what he did is he was presented with little problems, like the most basic, simple problem, like how do you cut a line in half if you don't have a ruler and you can just draw circles? So he learned math by exploring a problem space and coming up with solutions. And that actually is math. Math is using logic and reason to solve problems. So if you're never actually coming up with a solution, if you're never discovering a methodology to solve a problem, you're not doing math. So really, we didn't do math. What we did was, you know, I'm talking Gen Xers and, and uh, you know, so let's say between Einstein and Gen Xers. So all the baby boomers, all the Gen Xers, the way that we learned math was we were told, here's a process, here's a procedure. And what you do is you take these numbers and you move them here and then you move them there. Then you carry the one. And then at the end, this number that pops out, that's the answer. So we didn't actually do any problem solving. We learned how to fill out forms for the DMV. We did not learn how to explore a problem space and come up with creative solutions. And surprise, surprise, most of us absolutely hate math as a result because there's nothing exciting or interesting about that. The human mind is set up to really enjoy and love problem solving. In fact, the same chemical hit that you get from doing some drugs is the chemical hit that you get when you problem solve. You get, you get a chemical release in your brain that rewards you for solving a problem. So the idea that some of us would enjoy problem solving and others of us wouldn't is completely ridiculous, right? It's like saying some of us enjoy eating and others of us don't enjoy eating. We all enjoy eating. We're, we're designed to enjoy eating and enjoy problem solving. But that's not what we got to do. When they handed us the math textbook, it wasn't here's a bunch of problems to explore and come up with solutions. It was here's a bunch of processes and procedures to explore. Now, the thing that was good about those processes and procedures is that at least they were rational. They were logical. So if you add 11 plus 9 and you you end up where you have to take the 9 and the 1 on the right and you have to move them over one digit to end up with, you know, carry the 1 and then add those and you get a 20, that makes sense. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, it's not math if I tell you exactly how to do that, but it's not wrong. It's a, it's a reasonable shortcut. It's a reasonable hack to understand how to get to an answer. So that's the kind of stuff that we had, right? What they've done with Common Core is they've said, okay, let's see how we could make this even more evil. We've already completely <laughs> destroyed any desire to solve problems, right? We, we eliminated the chemical rewards of problem solving. You never get to explore the universe and its grandeur and see how it fits together. You never get to have a discovery moment. Good God, they've managed to take math and remove all the discovery moments out of it. Isn't that enough? No. What they said is we can take this to the next level because they're already filling out mindless procedures. Let's have them fill out procedures that don't even make sense. And let's have them fill out multiple procedures for the same answer. And let's make it so bad that if they don't follow the procedure, but they somehow end up at the answer before we would have given them partial credit, you know, quote, failing to show your work. Now we're going to make it to where that doesn't even matter. Like we'll just completely obliterate the concept that the answer matters. It's all about the procedure. And so you'll have to do multiple procedures 
and it will be absolutely painful. So, so you know, if a student, not, you're saying if a student just did a math problem, even not an incorrect way, just maybe even the way you and I would have done a math problem growing up in school, if they do that, get the right answer, but it wasn't this specific new process, then that would be an incorrect answer. Yeah, exactly. So I'll, g- I'll give you an example of a math problem that, that you'll see. And parents are pissed off about this, right? They're seeing this stuff. They're trying to help their kids with homework and it's making them absolutely insane. It's, it's such like a joke at this point that I think the new Incredibles movie has a whole segment about new math and how the, you know, the dad just, you know, wants to jump out of a building because he can't, <laughs> he can't manage to handle it. So it's sort of like a pedophilia in the Catholic church. It's just a joke now. We're okay with it. Yeah. You know, there's really, really bad implications of this stuff. I mean, if you manage to take a whole generation of people, and make them hate logic and reason, like that's disturbing. I don't, I don't know exactly how much further they can take this stuff before it's going to really get disturbing out there. And you know, it's just math, but it's not just math because if you can make somebody hate logic, golly, I mean, that's just a walking zombie in my world. That's a nightmare. And they, they really couldn't have done it better. I, if I wanted to come up with a system to make people hate logic and reason, I would absolutely go after mathematics and I would absolutely make it just a hateful, unpleasant experience that doesn't have logic and reason to it. So I'll give you an example of a math problem that if you know, you're sitting down with your kid, you're trying to help them with math, you would, you would think it's pretty obvious. So if you did something like nine plus four, or I'm sorry, five plus four, you would think, okay, five plus four, that's nine. Just write down the answer. No, you actually have to do five plus two plus two in order to get the answer right. And if you don't, if you don't break four into two different parts as part of this procedure, you will not get credit for it, even if you know the answer is nine. Even if you just know basic math and can add nine plus four, that's not right unless you divide that four into two parts. Right, exactly. So absolutely mind blowing to me. So for us, there wasn't much of a procedure there, right? Because it's so simple that there is no carry the one, there's no process, there's no room for a logical procedure there. Adding five and four. It's just adding five and four, man. You can't make it more complicated if you wanted to. And there's no room for you know a DMV style filling out the form. But they've introduced that. And because it's not logical, the human mind hates that. Like We are designed to want to punch somebody if they make us break that four into two different parts before we add it together. And what we're doing is now we're taking that system, we're imposing it on seven, eight-year-old boys and girls. And when they hate it, when they want to just not do it, then we give them chemical lobotomies. Then we tell their parents that, you know, you've got ADHD or you've got, you know, you're on the Asperger spectrum, right? So it is really, it's more than just uh, kids aren't going to learn math. This is, this is really, really, you know, evil. Right. All right. Well, luckily you are here to help combat some of this evil Chewbacca style, you might say, <laughs> with MathBot. So why don't you get more into just how MathBot works? And first I'll say I, I wanted to come in here not completely blind. So I did get on earlier today and uh, play with MathBot for about 30 minutes. And I got to say, you, you did mention something a minute ago that I thought was pretty interesting. You said they, they took away the chemical rewards of that you get just from, from solving a problem, knowing you accomplish something by you know figuring out a riddle or a puzzle or what have you. And that really is kind of what math is. And I just noticed that like when I, once I started to get into the, I'll call it the game because it really is a game, a problem solving game with MathBot. I really felt like 
even with the most basic of problems in the beginning, I did feel like that sense of accomplishment, that sense of like, ooh, great, I got the robot through the portal, cool. So if I'm if I a 38 year old man are having fun seeing this little robot <laughs> go through go through this portal and being rewarded chemically for it, I got to imagine kids would uh, you know enjoy it similarly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We when we first set out, it was I mean our goal. Even even before I was interested in Bitcoin, you know, I was a Rothbardian libertarian. So our goal from day one was to see as many public school teachers. And actually, I don't I don't want to leave the private sector out of this too much too, because the private schools that people are spending tens of thousands of dollars a year to put their kids in, they don't do anything different. And they actually can't because they're still regulated by the state, right? You can go to Bank of America and feel like you're dealing with a private company. But if the Federal Reserve is making all the important decisions for Bank of America, you're not. You're just dealing with another branch office of the government. And private schools in many, many ways, many more than most people that have their kids in private schools are willing to accept, are the same way. The math curriculum is determined by the state. Those guys are going full-fledged with Common Core just as much as everybody else. And they have to because, you know, because daddy told them to. So I don't want to leave those guys out of my complaint. But the the inspiration for MathBot was to see as many public and private school teachers standing on the street corner with a sign that says, we'll work for food as possible. We just want to do everything possible to put those guys on the ropes and, and get them out of kids' brains because they're not doing anybody any favors. They're not doing themselves any favors. They're not good people, right? Like we, we lionize the police, you know, nurses that can barely do basic math. You know, we, we have to act like they're very special because they're one of the classes of the state that we're supposed to love and adore. School teachers, public school teachers, private school teachers, they're absolutely in that same category. These people are incompetent losers, if they got, if you want to know if somebody's stupid, just ask them if they got a degree in education, because we know statistically that they have a very low IQ if they went to a four-year university and got a degree in education. This is, this is a bad situation across the board. So we really want to take that crown jewel that these, you know, undeserving people have that they lord over the rest of society and say, yeah, but we teach your kids math. We're not just cheap, low quality daycare. And we want to just take that out of the whole equation. So the way that we're trying to do that is to build a game that's so much fun to play that kids will just enjoy doing it. And in enjoy do- and as they enjoy playing the game, they'll learn both math and programming to a, a degree that puts them way above their, their teachers. We have 10, 11-year-old kids that are doing programming and they're learning math that's at a level where any of the teachers that they go deal with are not going to have a clue what's going on. And that's really, really satisfying. But because we do it very slowly and systematically, like you probably didn't have a moment when you were playing the game where you were just absolutely flabbergasted. But that's that's because that's how this stuff works. Like math exponents is just multiplying the same number by itself a few times, right? It's got a big word. It's fancy, but it's just multiplying. Multiplying isn't anything. It's just adding the same number multiple times. And when you're adding multiple number or when you're adding, all you're doing is counting the same number over and over again. So math by definition is logical layers of abstraction and each additional layer can't be very complicated. It has to be very, very simple. So what we're hoping that we'll be able to do is by making it free, making it really simple, kids will end up programming recursive functions and working with exponents by the time that they're in second grade and just make it laughable that any public school teacher or private school teacher is going to have anything to say to them. So are you hoping that uh, kids will come in there and be introduced to MathBot even prior to getting to that level? And then hopefully maybe they will still show up at public school and they'll just be blowing everyone out of the water. And people might say, wait, why is why is this kid so good at math? Why is the kid programming right now? He's in second grade. 
Yeah, we we want to we want to remove that piece of propaganda, right? The state, the school teachers get to say, well, you know, you know math because I taught you math, or your little Timmy knows math because I taught him math. We want to make it so that little Timmy knows math at a higher level than the school teacher is going to be able to by the time he's ten or eleven, and that's totally doable because these people are not brilliant, they're not smart, they're not very good at what they do, and there's a lot of very average kids out there that can learn some pretty amazing stuff by 11 years old. And part of the reason we want to do that is we want to make it obvious that public school was never teaching math, right? I didn't learn math. You didn't learn math. We may have learned some procedures, but we did not learn how to explore the natural world with the tools of mathematics and discover answers. But the other reason is that we want to inoculate these kids to what the state is trying to do to them in these classrooms, right? They're trying to take seven-year-old boys and make them sit still for 40, 50 hours a week with small breaks in between. They're trying to make cube farm idiots that will sit in a cubicle for the rest of their life in a corporation and just have the life sucked out of them. And the, the part of the way that they're doing this is they're, they're convincing people at scale, right? They're convincing tens of thousands of kids every year that they're stupid because they can't learn math. And as a result, they end up medicating them or, you know, you, you don't have patience. And so they use math as an excuse to chemically neuter these kids. It's really, really gross. So what we want to do is we want to inoculate the kids that are still in the meat grinder. And obviously, you know, for the for the, the kids that have parents that are considering keeping them out of that meat grinder, we want to make it really obvious that homeschooling is the way to go and that something like MathBot can, can get their back and make them feel really good about it. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow Podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Are those dry, boring, run-of-the-mill political talk shows putting you to sleep on your commute or at work? Are you ready for some fun? Look no further. Blast off with Johnny Rocket is a Seattle-based podcast expressing viewpoints of free markets, voluntary exchange, badass music, wicked banner, and of course, drinking. The Blast Off doesn't shy from the truth, but always brings the party. Let's rock and roll, Raylene. Bring it on, Johnny. You can check us out at thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash blastoff. Again, that's thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash blastoff. Launchpad Media. Always launching ideas in your direction. You know, one thing that's really interesting about MathBot is that you would think that step one, you know, the first level, so to speak, would just be basic math. You actually start with programming type stuff with creating new rules and, you know, stuff to that, you know, to many would seem beyond the scope of basic math. So why is it structured in that way that you actually start with, you know, programming skills before you even get into the, you know, what you would call basic math? Yeah, actually, the reason for that is that there isn't a difference between programming and math. They're actually synonymous. So if I tell you take three 
put a plus symbol in front of it and then put four, you know that I mean three plus four. And you know that that just means take those two piles of numbers and squash them together and get seven. But if I tell you, hey, there's this, there's this line of code and it's three comma four comma add, for example, that is that's saying that there's a function called add and that function takes in two inputs and it's going to give you some kind of an output. So it's really sort of just the way it looks is the only difference between math and programming. And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to start out with the very simplest thing you could possibly conceptualize and a robot taking one step forward seemed to be that. (laughs) Um, So that gives us two advantages. One is it's very, very simple. Like, you know, you're, you're actually programming recursive and conditional functions before you ever get to addition, which is really, really powerful. I mean, Full-time professional programmers, when they have to write recursive functions, they'll, they'll take a step back and have to think about it. Because a lot of times, even if you're a normal developer, you're not writing recursive functions all day. That's some pretty advanced stuff. And we already have kids that are seven and eight that are writing programs that are very recursive, you know, recursive functions within recursive functions, which that'll still throw me. I'll have to think about it. And that's happening for eight-year-olds, seven-year-olds already. But after they have that kind of power, that takes out all the tediousness of math as well. Like when they, for example, when they get to the point where of working with exponents, which they'll be doing way before they're 10 years old, all they're going to be doing is writing recursive functions. And they're going to get what's going on at a very deep level. Like they're going to get it at the level of a robot just taking one step forward and then maybe picking up a box. They're going to, they're going to know it at that level, but nothing is going to be tedious. Nothing's going to be redundant or repetitive because they have the power of the robot to do all the boring stuff. They just have to understand the concept, really, really get it, program the robot to do it, and then just watch it happen. Right. And and one thing you mentioned earlier, you know, that MathBot is free. It is free to use, free to get on there. Is there sort of a a monetization plan? I I mean, I I imagine you've put so much time and effort and money into this at this point. What is the plan when it comes to the, the sort of the monetization side of things? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So it is an open source project. It's totally free. Anybody can grab the code at any time and run with it if they want. And that would be great. If somebody wants to do this and do a better job than we're doing, we want to we want to be the starting point for it. And we'd be happy to do that because we're very much mission driven. That said though, we do want to be able to fund the project. So open source projects are, they struggle, they struggle with being able to reward contributors. And we've got some really, like if you go out and you play mathbot.com, as soon as you get out there, you're going to go, Oh, this is a professional site. This looks like a, you know, high end Silicon Valley startup. They've, they've obviously spent $20,000 just on graphic design, right? You get that, you get that real quality feel right yeah, off the bat. Sure. And the way that we want to reward people that have donated their time and their money and their effort to it is basically with a premium experience. So. If you play MathBot, you can play it 100% free, go all the way through it. But there was two problems that we were struggling with. One is how do we reward people that have donated their time, essentially? And if we can reward them for donating their time, then maybe they can go full-time, right? We could have 10, 15 programmers that are just working on MathBot exclusively and they don't have to have a job because they're being rewarded financially for their contribution. The other problem that we had was for parents that really are already involved in their kids' lives and that are homeschooling and they're doing the best they can, MathBot can be really helpful. But our goal is not to 
take the top 5% of parents and, and empower them a little bit more. Our goal is to destroy the illusion that the state is teaching math. So what that meant is that we have to be able to hit a lot of kids that don't have parents that are involved. And as fun as MathBot is, it can't compete with a first person shooter, you know, with Angry Birds or any of those any of those games, Pop in the Bubbles, because those games basically give you a chemical reward without the problem solving. They sort of hack your brain so that you get that that hit without having to do the work. So it's really hard for us to actually have you do hard work and get to get that chemical hit and compete head to head. So we did a bunch of user testing. We put the game in front of about 200 kids. And what we found out was that the kids that were killing it, there's always exceptions, but by and large, the kids that were just tearing through and doing great, their parents were doing something that I think is brilliant and all parents should do. They were creating additional incentives. So they were saying, if you can pass all these programming levels in the next hour, then I'll buy you an ice cream. Or if you pass all these programming levels, I'll let you buy a game on your phone for $3. And those kids with that just a little bit of additional reward just killed it. They did great. Unfortunately, the kids that didn't have that reward, the majority of them, they'd get bored, right? Once it got challenging and hard, they'd want to flip over to YouTube and, you know, watch equivalent of, you know, big kid baby Einstein or something. (laughs) So what we figured out with Bitcoin, which was kind of interesting, is that because Bitcoin, because of the way Bitcoin works, what we can do is we can have maybe a grandparent or an interested neighbor or anybody, let's say, pay $50 for some kid to learn algebra. And if the kid masters algebra as he goes along and he passes levels, then we could give him a dollar or two back in Bitcoin. So if it costs $50 to master algebra, then what we would do is we'd pass on $45 to the kid as they pass the levels. We'll take that extra five bucks and then pass it out to the contributors, the people that have, have built the game. So that's, that's the, that's basically the business model, although it's still, you know, basically volunteer work and then trying to compensate people for that. Very cool. Well, you know, JW, I'm always looking to highlight the work that people are doing, not just necessarily directly in the political arena, but also people that are working to sort of subvert our current systems and provide alternatives to in, in many different areas. Of course, education being maybe, I don't know if it's the most important. It's, it's certainly one of these most important because, as you mentioned, right now, our education system is basically turning people into you know, mindless factory workers, mindless cubicle workers. And I, I don't think that that's the path to success for most people. People. That's the path to being just a cog in the system. And we certainly want to see more people that are not just cogs in the system that are innovators like yourself. So I really do. Uh, I really am excited about this project. I'm excited when we get off this interview to go back and, p- and play some more MathBot and, and get some more chemical rewards. So well, before I let you go, why don't you just let everybody else out there know how they can find out more about MathBot, how they can get involved with this project, how they can play MathBot. And of course, feel free to plug away your website and anything else you've got going on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, man. Yeah. So the, the, the best way to check out MathBot is just to go to mathbot.com and then click play the game or sign up. It requires an email and a password just so we can keep track of what level you're on and can start playing it right away. The one thing that I forgot to mention that I kind of feel like is worth noting is every job that all of your kids are preparing for right now has an expiration date on it, whether it's a truck driver or a lawyer or a doctor. There are teams, many, many teams, hundreds of people right now that are writing code to make those jobs go away. 
And the one job that is constantly in demand and is guaranteed to pay you a six-figure income with just a few years of experience, and we're trying to get more and more people to do is computer programming. That's not going to change anytime soon. It's going to accelerate. And so there's that's a whole nother reason to to check out MathBot, whether you're an adult or a kid. This I, is I was going to say, like on that note, obviously, like a big part of this is is learning. You know, having kids learn math. But you know, can some dummy like me, who you know, I was decent at math in school, but I kind of I wasn't that interested in it. And I, I can't say I really cared much about math beyond that. Can a dummy like me get on here? And if I go through this whole system, can I actually become a computer pro- programmer myself with really no mathematical mathematical background of the last you know twenty years in in various industries? Absolutely. You, if, if you've played the first six planets, you've already done more difficult programming and more difficult sort of math problems than you'll do on a regular basis as a full-time programmer. So you can absolutely do it. Anybody that wants to change careers can be a full-time programmer. Anybody, right? I mean, if, even if you got kicked by a horse and your IQ is below average, you can still become a programmer within a couple of years. You're not going to be working on the, the most difficult, hardest algorithms, but there's a lot of work out there that isn't the most difficult, hardest algorithm sort of thing. And there's a lot of demand for programmers to do that sort of stuff. So what I usually tell people is if you give yourself two years, there's no doubt, like I, I can say this with confidence that you can be making $40,000 a year within a couple of years if you start programming for 50 hours a week now, just on your own. Start with MathBot, then hit me up on Twitter. Actually, my Twitter handle is just at JWWeatherman underscore. I'll tell you what to do after that. I can walk you through and turn you from nothing to making $40,000 a year in 24 months. No problem. You just have to put in the hours. And in fact, the guy that has written more code for MathBot than anybody else was a great engineer doing like big dirt construction projects, I believe about 24 months ago. And he makes good money now and he is more responsible for the code and that runs MathBot than anybody else. So it's absolutely doable. And you know, $40,000 a year after 24 months, that's not great. But after 15, 20 years, you're talking $250,000, $300,000 a year. And that's not, that's not like unusual. It's not a huge, you know, you didn't have to get lucky to do that. You just had to work hard becoming a decent programmer for 15 years. And you're going to be making over $200,000 a year. That's not unusual. So it's definitely an in-demand thing. And like I said, it's only going to get more and more in demand. Right now, we're barely going through the information revolution. And just like the industrial revolution, there was a lot of people that were picking cotton that we didn't need them to pick cotton anymore. We needed a lot of people to work on cotton gins. That's happening with something that's far more powerful than a steam engine or an internal combustion engine, and that's computers. And we're just barely scratching the surface of it. Just as one, one example of that, Non-software companies are right now, for the first time, hiring software developers at a faster rate than software companies. So if you're Facebook, you're hiring at, I don't know, 10% a year, something like that. You're growing. You're trying to bring in more developers. If you're Coca-Cola, you're not a software company. You're hiring developers faster than Facebook. That is a pretty good indication that this, this trend isn't going away anytime soon. Well, very cool. And, you know, whether you're, you're have a child who you're trying to teach math to, or whether you might want to change careers, be a computer programmer, or whether you just like playing a fun game, MathBot has something for everybody. So I do highly encourage you all to check out MathBot.com. JW Weatherman, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I think you're going to stick around for a quick little bonus segment. We're going to talk a little bit about the cypherpunk strategy. So if you don't know what that is, head over to patreon.com slash Lions Liberty and check out the bonus segment. JW, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Thanks, man. It was a ton of fun. Looking forward to the next conversation. Absolutely.
All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with J.W. Weatherman. And I am not lying. MathBot is fun. I'm kind of hooked on it. And who knows? Maybe, uh, you know, maybe a couple years from now, I will be out of the podcasting biz altogether and I'll just be programming robots and other other weird, weird stuff that will run your life for you. Who knows? You never really know how these things are going to play out. But in the meantime, I do highly encourage you to check out MathBot yourself. Head on over to MathBot.com to uh, start playing around. It's really, really interesting stuff. And uh, for more from J.W. Weatherman, you can head over to our Patreon feed, Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Join the Lions of Liberty Pride and hear a bonus segment that I did with JW all about the cypherpunk strategy. So I won't, uh, I will just leave it at that. To hear more, you can check that out. And of course, we also have so much, so much, so much content over on our Patreon for our Lions of Liberty Pride. Brian McWilliams is now doing weekly South Park recaps with Dan Smots, our friend from the System is Down podcast. We also have Degenerate Gamblers every single week where they take a look at uh, different football gambling bets. We also have the Conspiracy Corner, a show that I host where we dive in to various different, as you might have imagined, conspiracy theories. And in the most recent one, we took a look at the Roswell case amongst various other interesting items that you'll just have to click and listen to find out. You can even see video of that one. You get to see video of the infamous Rico at the $10 or higher level. So please do consider joining the Pride. It does help us pay for what we're doing here and expand the program. We're going to be doing a big ad purchase pretty soon towards the end of the year. Also helped us go to great events like the Libertarian National Convention this past summer in New Orleans, as well as Porkfest in New Hampshire, all of which we brought you uh, some great audio content from as well. So really does help us do a lot more with this program. All thanks to you guys, of course. Don't forget to stay tuned later in this week for Brian McWilliams' weekly shot of comedy culture and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, as well as John Odermatt's weekly look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. And of course, we've still got those Candidates of Liberty episodes rolling in. So enjoy those as well for at least the rest of this month. And until next time, live long and live free. <laughs>